We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Knicks fans, how you doing? It's your boy Jonathan Macri with you for another episode of the Knicks Film School podcast. Coming at you to uh, end the week with a banger, as we always try to do. Uh, bringing back our good friend from the Athletic, Fred Katz. Uh, Fred Katz, you may remember. Well, Fred Katz has been on here all season long, um, talking about his pieces and some of the other behind-the-scenes stuff that he has picked up as he's been covering the Knicks. He was on most recently, several weeks ago. When he, uh, as we will talk extensively about on this podcast, uh, you know, said some things about some of the, the next young players and, and you know, people's opinions of them and, uh, you know, rub some people the wrong way. So Fred gets on here again and uh, confronts some of what he's heard uh, in response to, to that podcast. And uh, I think you're going to enjoy it. Um, he. Um, He's excellent. He's really good. You could, of course, find all of Fred's stuff over at The Athletic, which they're always running like $1 a month subscription deals that are it's 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 a good value. Um, they they do great work over there. And, and Fred does great work over there. So um, that conversation is coming up in a, in a bit. Uh, as a reminder, uh, we are continuing all off season with the cap or no caps. Jeremy and I will be back to do another cap or no cap uh, this upcoming weekend, which will drop as usual at midnight going into Monday. Uh, and on and on we go continuing with our off season content. We got lots of great guests lined up. We got um, lots of great topics to discuss. And I think that is it. Without further ado, here's my conversation with the athletics, Fred Katz. Joining me now on the next film school podcast. He is uh, our, at this point, he's our most regular guest. He just, it's going to be pretty soon. You're going to just, Turn on episodes and it's going to be him and not me, um, which I don't think anybody would mind um, for his uh, wonderful insights. Even if he got a little pushback the last time he was on this episode, we'll get into that in a minute. Uh, the uh, not an what's the word again? An an aptonym? Aptonym? Not an, not an aptonym. Um, I, I wish I could think of a way that your name wasn't. Aptonym, I, I, I would. I, I I would be if. Um, like love dogs I worked or something? some sort of like feline grooming service. There you go. Cat. If you love cats, uh, Fred cats of the athletic. Hello, sir. How you doing? Um, you know, I was in, I was in a mood the last time I was on the pod. I like came on. Do you want to just get right day. into it? <laughs> it's like, yeah. I came on. You ruffled a, a lot day. of feathers. You ruffled some feathers. I ruffled feathers. I was, I was, I was having a bad day also. Like nothing terrible happened. I just, you know, just kind of woke up on the wrong side of the bed. And then I came on. I was like, uh, I had, I had gears to grind and I ground gears and I don't, I don't disagree with anything I said, but I, I, I should have uh, conveyed my tone in a, in a can more I, measured way. Can I run something by you? And I want to know yeah. what you think, because you're in different shoes than me because you're not a fan of this team or any, mm -hmm. I mean, maybe you're a fan. You're, I mean, you're a Yankee fan, right? Yeah. I'm a Yankee fan. Yeah. You're I'm a not a fan, fan of any basketball team. No, you're not a fan of any basketball. And I never was a Knicks fan. I didn't grow up a Knicks fan. Right? There you go. I over the last several weeks, because I'm I'm I've carved out my position on, on the same sort of hill that that you 
staked claim to last time you were on the show. And I've had to take a step back and I've had to like really, I, this is going to sound fucking ridiculous. I've had to like reassess what fandom is. I'm like, what, like, is, are there really any like rights and wrongs? It's like you have a team that you root for and then sometimes it goes well and sometimes it goes poorly. And if it goes poorly, you feel things about and you like you see what you want to see and you don't want to see what you don't want to see. And like whatever your way to like deal with that, whether it's like sending out angry tweets on Twitter or like just being like, F this, I want to see this guy fire this person. Like, is there anything wrong with any of this? I These are the conversations that I've literally had with myself over the last several weeks. So I, I don't know what that has to do with, with anything, but you know, you ruffled feathers last time because like, you know, certain people have had certain positions about this team and you're like, you push back against that. So like you're coming at it from a slightly different perspective. You're a journalist covering them. So does, how do you feel about this? I think we are all on a giant sphere that is spinning around an object that's expanding and is going to burn everything in cosmically, not that long of a time into the future. No, no, none of this matters. None of it. That's a great. That's great. I think none of it matters at all. That's that fantastic. said, you know, it's funny. I, when you cover a sport, I've never covered MLB a day in my life. The only professional league I've ever covered for one second is the NBA. And uh, it's funny though, when you cover a league and you're just kind of around teams, you know how teams work, you know how interviewing works, you know how players work. It just, it bleeds into the other leagues. You really do naturally lose your fandom. When you cover a team, like you just lose your fandom for that. You just, you see how the sausage is made and you start to get to, you don't think of athletes as athletes anymore. You just think of them as like people you see at work, you know? And so it's just, you have, it's just different. It becomes weird to, to root. Uh, It just becomes like, it feels unnatural. And, and, uh, and so it makes me watch like Yankee games, even though I'm a huge Yankee fan, it makes me watch like Yankee fan, Yankee games differently and think about Yankee games differently, you know, like really hundred percent. Um, like for example, when I was a kid growing up, Yankee signed Carl Pavano to a four year, $40 million. Oh, I remember that. And Carl Pavano gets hurt all the time. And I like every other Yankee fan, hated Carl Pavano because he signed this big deal and then he got hurt all the time. I was like, ah, this guy Pavano, not tough. Can't get on the field. Look at him. Doesn't even want to play. And now after covering athletes who get hurt and seeing how they react to those things, I'm like, man, Carl Pavano probably was so much more upset about all this than anybody else. He probably went through such a hard time. And then he had all these fans coming at him being like, just, just, you know, typical fans, like every other fans would be, because that's how you know fans react. Uh, and now I'm like, I have, you, you just have a different sort of perspective when you cover those sorts of guys, you know? Um, and so I think, I think that just bleeds into bleeds into other sports, but now we're getting, getting a little existential here. No, but this. Well, I did just talk about how we're all just burning up and everyone's going to die. So I guess we can't go. No, but really, that. this to me is 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 fascinating to me. And I don't know, maybe it's only fascinating to me. But like, I've really had to like ask myself over the like again. It's been like we really months now. Like, why am I always in such a rush to come to Tom Thibodeau's defense? I've tried to get at the root of it where it's like, you know, I respect the amount of work that he's put in to get into this point and at like the top of his profession and like how much, how many hours he puts into the thing, which makes me personally willing to look past, you know, decision X, Y, and Z. But that that's like a personal thing. And like, I have to accept the fact that it's a personal thing and that that may not be like your personal thing or like Andrew's personal thing or whoever's personal thing, you know? Um, but it does make it interesting for me when I, when I read like your latest piece, which was again about Tom and the work he's been putting in with the young players. And like, I reacted to that piece a certain way. And yet as, as you joked with me offline, some other people had a different reaction to that same piece. And it's like the same words, you know? So I just, it's funny to me. I don't, I, I, I mean, I, I look, don't know what's, what what's funny. There are two funny things about the reaction. And, and for those who don't know, I wrote a piece at the athletic that went up uh, on Wednesday. Absolute it, must read. 
Absolute it, must read. Great quotes was, in there. I appreciate that. It was it was about kind of these these young guy practices that Tibbs has been hosting all year and even dating back into last season, uh, where he he gathers all the young players before they have practice and they just drill offensive sets over and, and it's over him, and over again. right? It, correct me it's if I'm him. wrong. It's him. It's not some assistant coach. It's like he's the one running the practice. No, it's him. Every time it's him. The players made it very clear. It is him because Obi Obi was joking. I, I I had a I had a couple of quotes where um you know Obi and and Quick were doing impressions of Tibbs yelling at them, screaming "Lock in, lock in!" And really, it was very funny. Yeah, but it didn't translate to print, you know, because yeah. it was impressions. It was just it was just you know Quick saying it was I think it was Obi saying "Lock in," uh uh and Tibbs and and Quick saying something like "Let's go" or something like that. Who had the better impression? Uh, it, they were, they were both lacking, I oh, would say, okay. uh, but their comedic is quality. Um, <laughs> it just, you know, that doesn't translate to, to print. So I had it in an original version of the story and I pulled it. Uh, but yeah, Tibbs runs those practices and it was, it was just kind of about, you know, I don't think that was always the case. I don't think the, the, the reputation of Tibbs not being invested in the young guys is completely unfounded dating back to the beginning. And I, the story doesn't try to dispel that at all. As a matter of fact, it it confirms that I have a quote in there from Taj Gibson, where he he talks about how when Taj first came into the league, according to Taj, he says Tibbs didn't really talk to the young guys. He didn't really talk to the rookies. And that the biggest change, uh, and and to be clear, you know, that quote from Taj came on a question, which was um, you know, not prompted. There was it was not in the middle of a conversation about Tibbs working with young guys more. It was not his mind. The question that Taj, when he gave that quote, and he said the biggest difference between Tibbs 10 years ago and today, because Taj has been with him at every spot, yep. is when Taj said the biggest difference is that he works with the young guys more and really likes talking to the rookies. The question was just, what's the biggest difference between Tibbs in his first that's, year and now? It wasn't leading at all. Um, and, and, uh, and yeah, so the story was more... It's funny because I think some of the reaction to the story was like... This is a PR job for Tibbs, which how much you getting paid, Fred? Uh, You know, is it checks? Is it is it hard cash? I mean, come on. And some of and some of the reaction was, wow, look at this. Totally validated. And what I think is funny about it, you talk about you kind of just see what you want to see. I didn't make any arguments in there. I don't think Um, all I did was just. Here's what's happening because you get to see what happens in the 48 minutes where Tibbs gives a shorter leash to the rookies and a shorter leash to the second year guys and a shorter leash to the third year guys, even the ones who everybody agrees are good players, except for maybe RJ. And, uh, and you get in terms to see of the that, leash that just to, yes. just to be, I don't want you getting hot water. <laughs> Exactly. You were saying, except for RJ being a good player, you're saying RJ with the leash. Yes, RJ with the leash. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Listen, man, like a, we have aggregators here. Just like a swipe on RJ. Uh, <laughs> no, but it's, uh, you know, you see that, but, you, you know, you don't get to see. And I think uh, an important part of my job is giving a behind the scenes look at things. But you know what's funny? Like, I did not expect that story to get the reaction that it did. I did no original reporting for that story. Like I did, I did none except for maybe uh, putting in one line about how Mitchell, a lot of people attribute Mitchell Robinson's improvement as a positional defender to just him being watching more film. Uh, I mean, that's not exactly the biggest story I've ever written. I don't know how one would get better at positional defending without watching more film. Uh, I don't know how that's possible. I think it's probably true for every every uh you know guy who's gotten better as a positional defender in the history of the league but but i did no original reporting all that stuff was already out there i i wrote that taj quote in like november uh the the stuff about the you know the quotes and all that i mean those were just kind of in scrums and and all of that and you know on the the nick's youtube page and all that kind of stuff so i i just thought it was important to not important. I just thought it would be give give an interesting and maybe a little bit of a different perspective to put all of it in the same place. Because when it's strung out over a million different places, it's just yeah. harder to contextualize, you know. And I'm not going to say you. You're right. You didn't. You didn't take a position, but you 
noted something which I thought was important, which is I'll, I'll quote your story. You said there were valid arguments to give more time to quickly and topple and that had nothing to do with development. You point out how they were consistently better with them on the floor. You also, I think, had something in the story about, um, you know, decision making in terms of late game situations and how that clearly was not something that worked well for the Knicks. Like there are there is validity to everything that people have been pushing back against Tibbs throughout this entire season. And I think you give credence, uh, you know, to those opinions. Um, But I'm like you, I I think it's important to like, you know, and like people tend to try, obviously people tend to try to make this stuff black and white, which is like either they, these young players have always been this good and like nothing that they do off the court, like changes that they would have always been the, the, the right players to play for 25 or 30 minutes. Or it's like, completely in the opposite direction and like no 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 it was like they they were never going to be better until the very end if they got all this time and like the truth probably lies somewhere between was there an earlier time to play them more minutes yeah probably uh when is that time i i don't know do you do you let me ask you this if you could go back and and redo this next season do you think there was a time when tibbs could have pivoted that would have avoided all this uh i use jeremy's word mishigas that we've gotten over the last several months the hoopla the hoopla uh, I don't know. I think it's the Knicks. Hoopla is intrinsic in the existence of the Knicks. If there's not hoopla over this, there's hoopla over something else. I mean, I, that I agree with, I will say that, I mean, look, I, I very intentionally did not want this story to be connected. I, I had a line in there, something where I, where I talk about if there was a purpose to this story, it was to give a new perspective to the existing narrative that Tibbs doesn't care about development. And it was to repurpose the framing of that conversation where we can have a conversation about Tibbs's development strategies. And if you agree with them or not, because he believes you develop in practice, you develop in film sessions, you develop away from the games and you have to earn minutes to be able to get onto the floor. Now we can talk about if you agree with his definition of earning minutes, We can Mm -hmm. certainly talk about that. We can talk about if that is the best development strategy. Uh, We can talk about if it has to be so mutually exclusive. Why can't you develop in practice and in film sessions and in the games? Uh, We can have all of those conversations. All this was meant to do was dispel or not dispel anything, just to repurpose the focus, kind of change the framing of the Tibbs conversation. It's not that he doesn't care about the young guys. I think he does care a lot about the young guys. He just has a different perspective on what development is. And I also think it's important to note that pretty much all the young guys had good development seasons. And, and, and look, I just, I'm kind of tired of the debate over how much of that has to do with the player and how much of it has to do with the coach because it's unprovable. You just don't know, but does it matter? Also, Exactly. It's like I mean, it, he's it not does. doing anything to stop them from getting better. You know? Yes. Thank you. From a again, I'll I'll speak from the fans' perspective. It's like a lot of stuff went wrong this season, and there's a lot of valid arguments against a lot of people. But if you told me before the year that we were going to see meaningful growth from all the players that we saw meaningful growth from, and and again, you get into this really well in the story, I'd have taken it. Probably because I think if you'd ask any Nick fans, like, what's the most important thing that happens this season? Nobody would have said wins and losses. Nobody would have said, oh, we win X amount of playoff games with this. No, they would have been like, does RJ Barrett get better? Does Obi Toppin get better? Does Emmanuel quickly get better? Like, do the rookies look good? Does Mitchell, like all of, that's what people should care about. A lot of stuff went wrong, but I think all that stuff went right. And I think you're, you're wise to point that out. Um, doesn't mean Tibbs did a great job, but yeah. I, I also think the way, I think the way that we talk about coaches is kind of wrong. We, we talk about coaches in a similar way to the way we talk about players and we should really talk, or, or I should say we talk about coaches in the same way we talk about stars when we should really mm. talk about coaches in the same way we talk about role players. Uh, I think aside from a handful of coaches, Eric Spolstra, I was about it, to say, Spo. Eric Spolstra is a great coach, no matter where you put him. Nurse, I don't care probably. who he's coaching. Who'd you say? Nurse, probably. Yeah, maybe. You know what? Maybe not, though, because like Nurse has a personality where not everybody gets along with him. That's fair. Like there are a handful of coaches who I think are like great no matter what, uh, but only a handful. 
And the rest of them, if you're good enough to become an NBA head coach, you are probably a good coach for some players and a bad coach for other players. And it, because because not everybody accepts coaching the same way, not everybody reacts to personalities the same way, and not everybody speaks the same language, not the same values, and the same background, and all that kind of stuff. And 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 to me, if you happen to get a team with a lot of guys who you're a good coach for, you're going to look like a really good coach. And if you happen to get a team for a coach with a lot of for with a lot of players who you're not a good coach for, you're going to be a bad coach. I mean, when I when I have this conversation, the number one guy that I like to mention just because I think he's the greatest example I can think of is is Lionel Hollins. Where Oh wow. He was <laughs> he he ended up getting fired in Memphis. Yeah. But they won constantly. He was well respected. The players loved him. He was a great coach for Tony Allen and for Mike Conley and for Mark Gasol because Zeebo. he was, yeah. and for Z, Lord knows for Zebo, he was <laughs> responsible for saving. I don't want to say responsible, but he played a massive part in saving Zebo's career. Zebo made all NBA teams under him. Right. Which and people, it's insane. And he was just considered like he was the shining example of the good stats, bad team guy until yeah. he went to Memphis. Yeah. And now he's remembered as, as a winner and a teammate. And, he loved you know, the whole thing. Exactly. And he's, he's absolutely, his numbers retired. I mean, he's beloved in Memphis. Uh, and I think Lionel Hollins was just a great personality matchup. Those guys received that message. They played to the same identity. I mean, those were like iconic teams and they made a Western conference finals. They yeah. won 50 games every year. I mean, those were really good teams. And then he goes to the nets and he's with Brooke Lopez and Darren Williams who are completely different personality sets and it crashes and burns because he was a terrible coach for Brooke Lopez and he was a terrible coach for Darren Williams. And I don't think Lionel Hollins was a worse coach in Brooklyn than he was in Memphis. I don't think he forgot how to coach. I think he had a team that wouldn't accept his message. And I think getting back to Tibbs, I think Tibbs needs to be graded on good coach because he's because he's an intense personality. So I just think he's a good coach for some people and he's not going to be as good of a coach for others. I think he's a good coach for RJ. Oh, yeah. RJ, he and RJ seem to have a good relationship. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Uh, they do a lot of those one-on-one film sessions, I know. And, and RJ has developed nicely under him and 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 and... And seems to want to play well for him. I think he's a good coach for Emmanuel quickly. I was about to say, can we throw quickly in there? It seems yeah. like that's the next guy. Yeah. Quick seems to to really respond well to that sort of energy. And and from everybody you talk to, both those guys have really, really good work ethics. I used to think that he was a really good coach for Julius Randle. I was about I, I knew it was coming as soon as you opened your mouth. I I don't know if I think that anymore. 
But last year, it's so weird. That's one of the weird things. Like I thought last year, but I was also from afar. I wasn't covering the team every day, but, but you just kind of heard the way that Julius talked about work ethic under Tibbs and you saw how he responded to that. And he had a go-to line, Fred. He had the, it was the line that was in, it was on the Woj pod. He said it, it was on the, the Reddick pod. It made its way some into some other, I mean, I asked for a coach or I asked Leon, get, get me a coach who's going to hold me accountable. Like that was his, like, that was like the PR. It was like the Julius Randle PR tour. Tibbs was part of it. Like, you know, did somebody force him to say that players tribune? Thank you, Andrew, for reminding me about that. Yes. It's all over the place. And then this season, I mean, I know I've heard stuff. I'm sure you've heard stuff too. And I don't know what happened. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and and you look at the way that he it also like beyond just, personality stuff just like i think i think the way they run their offense exacerbates a lot of randall's bad habits and i think a lot of the time that's that's on the player i think a little bit more than the coach because they're his habits uh but i that's a scenario where it's like when their late game offense is constantly all right randall's going to run a brush screen and then it's going to be an 18 foot post up on the left block it's like that's just that's that's it's not good offense and it's accentuating the bad habits of your you know most voluminous player and that is i don't think that's great coaching for that guy uh so you know the best the best coaching for any player maximizes his strengths and minimizes his weaknesses and i think that kind of puts julius in a in a position to not work on his strengths at all so so i i i don't know if he's a great one for Randall now. Um, but anyway, I mean, the overall point is that like a guy can be a good coach for other guys, for some guys and a bad coach for other guys or a great coach for some guys and an okay coach for other guys and a take it or leave it one for other guys. And it's like, there are levels like I, you can't just pick a guy up and, and, and just judge him in a vacuum for the most part. I think there are some coaches you like, and you're like that guy is a disaster. And there are some coaches that you look at and it's like, well, that's Greg Popovich. You know, <laughs> he's pretty good. So that's a good transition because you, your piece that you wrote about, you've actually been uh, firing off many pieces of late, but they're about the, the Grizzlies and, uh, and Wolves series, which uh, when's game three of that? It's, it's tomorrow, right? Friday. Game three is uh, tonight. It's tonight. Oh my goodness. I'm, I'm yeah. completely, I playoffs come at you fast, man. If you don't, uh, if you don't look up, you're going to miss them. Uh, so you've been writing about that, but your previous Knicks piece was about your off. It was your off season primer. And you asked a bunch of big questions. And um, I want to actually go through some of those questions today. And uh, you know, you think you're a good journalist, man. You just ask the questions. I want you to answer the questions. That's all right. Let's answer some. I don't so even for, remember what I asked. Oh, I, don't, I have, I, don't, them. I, I have them. I write my own stories. I don't, don't read, read them. them. <laughs> so, that's like me with podcasts. Yeah, Andrew, cover your ears. I don't remember the last time I listened to one of my own podcasts. Yeah, yeah. Players, I I always wonder like if if player like an NBA player watching game film of a game that he played badly is like listening back to your own podcast. Like, do they do they have that like grading? You know how you hear the sound of your own voice on recording, and you're like, it's so grating. I cannot. I can't stand that sound. Like, I wonder if just like, uh, like Mitchell Robinson looking at like a bad help defense play is just like, Oh God, you know, might just be terrible. It might. I, I wonder how much Mitch, how much game film, uh, well, you, you, you wrote that he, he watches a lot of game film and we'll see, uh, if he, if he continues that habit in a Knicks uniform next year, we'll get to that question in a bit, but first, so you ask Ken, the way you phrase the Julius Randall question, because he's obviously if not the biggest question about this offseason is up there. The way you phrased your question is, can Julius Randle recover the magic? Um, and I like the way you put it because last season, not this Tibbs, Tibbs inspired. I was just uh, thinking about Tibbs always saying the magic is in the, the magic is in the work. Yeah. And I was like, let's I, see if he can recover the magic. So to me, and this is not news, but like you were just talking about the late game offense and who gets the blame for that? I just, you know, again, this is this is this is my bias. I tend to think Tibbs, smart guy, he knows this is not the best offense. There must be a reason they're going to it, and I think it has a lot. It probably my assumption is a lot to do with like Randall. He's the guy. He wants the ball in those situations, and 
Tibbs is basically catering to his best player to try to keep, you know, keep him happy. That was my assumption. Could be completely off base. Do you think with Julius Randle, like moving on to next season, like does recovering the magic to you mean like above the neck more or below the neck? Because I, I'm not honestly even sure which, which it is. And do you think he will recover any modicum of magic? Uh, I think it starts with decision-making. Um, also, I don't think we need to look at the late game offense was so binary. Like, is it Randall wants to play that way or Tibbs wants, or, or, or Tibbs wants to play that way. Like, I think, I think the offense gets a little too rudimentary down the stretch. And it, it's not just that they kind of play a two man game that gets the ball to Randall. Like, okay. Like, today's hot topic is that the Nets run an unimaginative offense, right? And it's yeah. just kind of my turn, your turn with KD and Kyrie. And last night in the Boston game, it's like Boston is playing this ridiculously physical defense against Brooklyn and Brooklyn really doesn't make any changes to what they're doing from game one. And they play a rim diving center, which clogs the middle and, and they kind of have some other non-shooters and, and it's just kind of KD and Kyrie going one-on-one. And the greater issue isn't that it's KD and Kyrie going one-on-one. The greater issue is that they don't really really have weak side movement. They don't really have yeah. very much screening. Like the issue is not necessarily that Julius Randall gets the ball at 18 feet. It's how Julius Randall is moving when he gets the ball at 18 feet and where the, how the, the momentum of the floor is going like there, there or isn't really <laughs> exactly. You don't really have that weak side moving. You don't really have that cutting, you know, it's like, um, there were moments this year where like RJ, for example, was, was way more aggressive seeking out switches and attacking weaker defenders. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's something that he is great at yet because I don't think, I think he's good at recognizing when he has a mismatch, but I don't think he's good at recognizing yet what he should do against that mismatch and which mismatches are best for him. Uh, Like he, I, I like him when he seeks out like Trey young, when they play the Hawks. I think that works, I but agree. when he, when he seeks out a big and then shoots a step back, I'm like that's, that's still not a good shot, even though you got, no. even though you got a big on you. So I think there are certain ways that he has to learn. And I think that's something that Tibbs is, is working with him on. Um, and I think Tibbs is, is very much in agreement on that, but there are certain times where, for example, they played Atlanta this year and they're trying to get, uh, you know, Trey Young is guarding Alec Burks. And so Burks, every play is kind of screening for RJ. Cause they they're trying to get a switch and Brooks is not really a screener because he's a six, five wing or in this case, a point guard, I guess. And, and <laughs> Brooks is not really a screener. So he's just not, I think it was Deandre Hunter guarding RJ. It's like Alec Burks guarding Deandre Hunter is like, you know, you would like him to set that screen, but it, that's, that's a tough screen for him to get. And they, they couldn't get the switch and they kept trying to do it. And it's like, there are other things that you can do to, at least try to get it. So Trey young is not on Alec Burks. You know, you can set a screen on the backside. You can have Obi Toppin run around a Alec Burks screen on the backside and maybe force those guys to switch. And now you have Obi come up with Trey guarding him and he sets the screen. Um, you mentioned Spo a minute ago. And like in this series against the Hawks, like they're doing all kinds of the stuff. Like they're, they're figuring out a way to hunt Trey young every time down the floor. Right. And that's, I mean, look, Spo is the gold standard that, yes, that, that dude is as good as there is. I mean, just the first battle hall of famer, in my opinion, um, best coach in the league today, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, very well might be certainly. I mean, there might be some other guys we put in the same level. I mean, I would not say anybody is actively better than him. He's unbelievable. He's just, Everything that he does is like, man, that guy's amazing. Ty Lue, I kind of feel similar. Ty Lue's good. Yeah. Where I'm like, what a great X's and O's coach. Basically every decision he makes, I'm like, wow, that is really smart. Like the way they defended Towns in uh, in that first playing game. When when Towns went three for 10. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, in-series adjustments he makes, that kind of stuff. It's like that guy's creative and and all of that. I think it's so funny to think about that Ty Lue and Tibbs were on the same assistant staff. Because oh, in, they're uh, so Boston? different. Yeah, they're so different in terms of uh, just yeah. kind of their like spontaneity as coaches. Yeah. Tibbs is is very much this is what we do. 
and this is yeah. what I believe, and that's and, what we do. And, and Ty, Ty will is, try anything. Yeah, Ty Lue is like, we're gonna go big for two minutes, and then we're gonna play a five-two guy at center for the next four minutes, and then we're gonna just start throwing lube on the floor to make everybody slip and see if we get but, caught. But but that rigidity from Tibbs is a benefit when you're talking about some things like when the Knicks like they are rarely will you see a Nick game where it looks like they don't know what they're doing on defense. Like they always know, like if I'm not saying they always play great defense, but they always know what they're doing. And I think that is a testament to his his inflexibility when it comes to that. But what you're talking about end of game offense, you know, and it, it's particularly bad on a team with I mean, I don't know how else to say it. The, one of like if you're talking about top level NBA individual offensive talents, how many teams like ha, like don't have a player like better than like the best guy on the Knicks? Whether you thought it was Randall this year or RJ this year, like how many teams best guy is worse than than those guys? It's a short list, you know. Yeah, and like that. So that's a problem. Yeah, and getting back to your original question, by the way. Is it above the head or below the head with Randall? Uh, The reason that I said it's more in the decision-making and I've written about how much his shooting fell off this year. I mean, he was, if he, he better be thanking the basketball gods for Jalen Suggs's existence, because if it weren't (laughs) for Jalen Suggs, Julius Randall would have been basically the worst jump shooter in the league of anyone who took jump shots this year. Um, Can I give you a, a, a quick stat that I looked up. Sure. Do you know when is the last time? Let me see if I still have this on my phone. Uh, Andrew, you may have to edit. No, no, I still got it. The last time that someone who was at least his his height, six eight, so that's how tall Julius Randall is, um, took at least twelve hundred field goal attempts and had an effective field goal percentage below forty six. So he did it this year. You want to take a guess at how many years it's been since some last time somebody. That big took that many shots and shot that poorly. I actually would have guessed it would have just been like a modern day guy. It's a modern. I mean, it's it's within the last ten years. I'll say that. Mm. It's probably like uh, it's probably some like stretch five who just had a horrible season shooting threes. Uh, Uh, It's probably like Byron Mullins. (laughs) Twelve hundred shots minimum, though. That's the that's the thing. Oh, that's true. It was Lamarcus Aldridge as he started to dabble in taking threes back in the 2013-14 season. He just didn't have a very efficient year. Um, and the, before that, same year, Josh Smith. There's a name for you. Before that, Rudy Gay. And then uh, before that, you have to go back to Kevin Durant as a rookie, 2007-2008 season. So he's literally he literally did something that we just don't see anymore, which is just I, I, it's astounding. But anyway, continue. I cut you off. I I, I would have been really excited if it were Byron Mullins. What a call that would have been. <laughs> if you if Byron Mullins was the answer to a trivia question and you got that right, that would have been pretty good. <laughs> But but the thing is, like, obviously, you'd love the jumper to come back. I think it's plausible the jumper comes back to some degree because, like, the efficiency just cratered. But part of the reason the efficiency cratered was because of the decision making. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't need to take all of those jumpers. And I think his 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 facilitating wasn't as good this year. He's a really good passer. It's just that he's not always a willing passer. I am convinced that he sees everything when he chooses to see everything. He is a really good passer for a four. And I think defensively, a lot of his, um, you know, a lot of his problems are in the decision-making too, just like transition defense. It's just like, you know, one question that I like to, I've asked players numerous times because I feel like it's the only follow-up to when teams say that we're not having good transition defense. Uh, I, I just ask, is that just about just like not running back hard enough? Because the only other thing that it could be is that you're not communicating well and matching up with the right guys. Uh, but almost always when teams say they're not running back hard enough and they're not playing good transition defense and you respond with, well, are, are, is that just running back hard enough? Uh, they're like, yeah. And, and that's kind of a decision that you make and it could be, yeah. 
could just be exhaustion sometimes too, which is understandable. Uh, it's a very tiring sport. It uh, is. But, and, and nobody's perfect and that's understandable, but uh, you know, just there are certain things defensively to help the help defense. It's not physical. No, that's, you know, him getting back cut on the weak side. It's not physical. So, so I think he is capable. He is capable of being this level of a mid range shooter and this level of a three point shooter and still being a really good player. He is totally capable of that because he, it's not like he was chucking threes before last in any other year other than last year. Anyway, no, I, and I he agree. was still a good player. He was, you know? um, uh, but that gets into a potentially a roster construction issue. And you've written about this this season, which is, you know, do they play him more at center? Do they do they potentially get a stretch five? Um, it bleeds into the Mitchell Robinson decision. Uh, I'll say this. I don't see both of those guys being back next year. Um, maybe one or the other, but I don't know. We'll see. Um, let's turn to RJ. Um, you asked. How much should they offer R.J. Barrett? So I'm going to ask you, Fred Katz, how much should the Knicks offer R.J. Barrett? I don't know. I haven't decided yet. Um, not the max. Not the max. Okay. No, not the max. I mean, I think people, I think they're like, some people assume it's it's going to be a max. And I don't know how you could assume that. I mean, we talked about the efficiency numbers with, with Randall, we could talk about the efficiency numbers with RJ too, which, quite honestly, not, not much aren't that different. Yeah, uh, and and I, I I've come on this podcast and said I think RJ has a chance to be an All Star one day, mm-hmm. uh, but the guys who get max extensions never have a chance to be an All Star. They're already All Stars. <laughs> Otherwise, you don't get a max extension. Jalen Brown didn't get close to a max extension. Uh, Giannis did not get. That was packs. a that was a weird one. Though. That was a weird one. That's it was weird example. at the time. Right. Call me out yeah. on that. That was a whole no, no. Bit. It's 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 okay. It, it, uh, it did, he didn't Victor, get it though. Okay, here's another one. Victor Oladipo got like four for eighty four. Um, you know, yes. those which was which was you know a, a good portion less than the max at the time. Can I? Oh, I'll who, give you one. It's going back a ways. Demar Derozan. Demar Derozan was like obviously not this player, but he like go back and look at his first four years. Like he was not, he was not a bad player. Like he was putting up numbers. It was low efficiency though. And th- he got like four for 40 and I remember, which was low at the time. And I remember people were like, should we, should he be getting this much money? Cause like, you know, and, and you know, who compares himself to RJ? Well, I should say, you know, who, who, who do you know who compares himself to DeMar DeRozan? RJ Barrett. RJ Barrett. Like, I Drew Hamlin told me that the guy who they watch the most film on for RJ to kind of learn stuff from is DeMar DeRozan. Not not stupid. I mean, if you could do no, what that it makes dude perfect does, sense. It's, yeah. Yeah. It makes it makes absolutely perfect sense. I think that if I were Drew Hamlin, I'd be that would be the guy that I'd be showing him the most too. Uh, but but with RJ, it's like you don't just come in and offer the max. Like if RJ says if it's not the max, I'm not signing. It's not like you're at risk at losing him. He's restricted the next year. If he comes yeah. out, if he says, comes in and says, I'm only signing for the max and the Knicks say, and I'm the Knicks, what I say to him is great. Come out, prove you're a max player this year and you'll get the max in the summer. And if you don't prove you're a max player and you come friend. out and you sign an offer sheet with somebody else, or you get an offer from somebody else, we can match it and bring you back. I just, you know, they don't want to go down that road. You just almost never see guys sign for the max I, unless they are just like definitive. I, no debate look, about it. It's Luka Doncic. You just, you don't see it because what's the incentive for the team? It's like, if you, if, if you, um, if you're going to sign an extension, it's because there's there's the compromise. The player gets the long-term security, knowing mm-hmm. he's entering the year, saying like, you know what? I don't have to worry about my free agency. I don't have to worry about, am I going to get paid? I don't have to worry about what happens if I get a serious injury. I've got my money locked in and the team gets the player for a little bit less than maybe whatever they believe he could have gotten on the open market. I mean, that is the compromise signed in an extension. And I don't think the open market for him right now is a max anyway. I mean, his max... We should talk about his max, by the way. His max is 184 million I was about to say, over five years. $36 million a year on an average annual salary. I can I give you my prediction? I think yeah. they I think if I was them, I would start 
five for one twenty five, the John Collins contract, and they are they're going to ask for the max, and then you basically split the difference, and he ends up signing for five for one fifty with some incentives, like they did with Julius Randle. They did the ten percent incentives. I would do something like. I don't know if they they max out to 10% and that's how you get to the 150. I think that's could you see them ending up there or do you think that I'm still a little bit too high? I'm not sure. Quite honestly, I haven't had a ton of conversations about this yet. So I'm I'm going to write a story about this exact topic okay. either All for right. next week or the following week and I I just will feel too stupid if I say something that I believe to be oh, true okay. now and That's then fine. I immediately contradict it because I did more research and wrote it next week. So I just, you might be right. I'm, I'm just, I don't know. He's, he's hard to figure. Cause he's like, it's funny. Cause for someone who's such an uncontroversial person, <laughs> he's, he's kind of a polarizing he's player, he's you know, polarizing. where he's, yeah. he's, he's low efficiency. And the, you know, the deeper analytics are not kind to him, but you watch him play and you're like, okay, you know, I, I see something here. The thing with RJ, which I think is interesting, you know, you see big extensions for certain guys who may not have earned it yet. You know, one guy is, or maybe totally proven it yet. And one guy I, I think of with this is Kemba Walker, where Kemba was super low efficiency his first few years. And I forget his extension number. It was four for it was four, four for 48. For 48. Yeah. yeah. Which was seen at the time. If as I recall, it was seen. Yeah. I it, yes. You it remember was Charlotte's justification for why? For why they gave it to him? Mm-hmm. No, I don't remember that. They were betting on the person. They were betting. They saw Kemba's work ethic. They saw the underlying talent. And they were like, he is going to figure it out. I think they uh, use the same logic for Michael K. Gilchrist. That did not work out as well. <laughs> I, I could see a betting on the person sort of situation with RJ like that, yeah. that I could see that as being part of a justification. Uh, Cause you know, just kind of a justification of where we're not saying that the player, you know, I'm making up a number. He gets five for one fifty, like you said, yeah. and 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 the Knicks' internal logic is that they're not saying that RJ's twenty twenty one twenty two season was worth thirty million dollars, but they believe that over the course of his contract, he is going to improve to such a degree that he will be worth that money. And I don't think that's an unreasonable statement. I just am not quite. I'm just not. I feel useless. Like I'm not totally sure how I feel about it yet. No, it's, it's, it's fair. I think I agree with you. Listen, I would not, be, you could tell me next time you're on this pod that you spoke to an executive who was like, I'd offer him four for 80. I'd offer him or I'd offer right. him the Lamella well, ball contract. That's why you know? I want to talk to people about yeah. it because there, there are certain people who are going to be like, I would make him a terrible offer because I don't think he's worthwhile uh, yeah. with that sort of money. And then there are some people who are going to be like, Wow, you look at the way he. I think everyone agrees he improved this year. I think yeah. everyone agrees he improved this year. His decision making is better, and and the thing with RJ, which I think if you're going to argue that he is going to get much better, I think the greatest argument for him is he is keenly aware of what he's not good at. Yes, and willing and, and willing to admit it to himself. Exactly. That's what that's what I mean. Like yes. the things that he works on are the things that he actually should be should working, be working. On. And the way that he is catering his game is not because of ego. It's actually because of lack of ego. Uh, it's because he's saying, you know what? I'm just not knocking down jump shots the way that I should be, but I'm really strong. Maybe I should just use my strength and try to get to the basket a lot. Uh, and maybe, maybe if I just did that all the time, that would be a lot better. Uh, and then he did it and he's right. That is the way that he can be his best, uh, at least if he's uh, you know going to be this sort of skill set of player, and he's got to get better around the rim. He's you know I think he's got to become a better passer, and uh, I think his I think his defense is moving along okay, and yeah, the jump it, shot it goes in the, and out. The defense once he started taking on the bigger usage, there were some games there where we, we don't have to revisit that tape. No, um, no, no, a hundred percent. But he was yeah. having he was having games where he was taking. 25 shots like yeah and, really and like hard. that's a normal thing though in the nba like most guys who take 25 sh- like look go look at the defense Kyrie irving and and kevin durant have been 
playing recently. It's not, yeah. not, not, not great. And, and um, Kevin Durant is someone who's capable of playing fantastic it, defense. Capable. And he's yeah. also somebody who nobody in their right mind would ever accuse of not playing at a hundred percent. So, yes. So yeah, I mean, he's a great example of that. Um, la- uh, over the last 20 years, there's only been one guy under the age of 22 two years old who put up RJ's stat line, 20, 20 points, five rebounds, three assists, um, who did not wind up signing a max contract. You want to, you want to care to guess who it is? Mm-hmm. Former rookie of the year winner. Put it up in the year before getting an extension? No, he put it up in his rookie year. And oh, Tyreek started... Evans. There you go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's an easy one. I don't know who I'm talking to here. Um, not that it's been a long list. It's it's LeBron, Blake, Luca, Tatum. Um, actually, no, sorry. One one guy, uh, two two guys on here haven't gotten maxes yet, although um one is LaMelo Ball. I'm assuming his will be coming, and the other is uh Zion Williamson, which is a perfect transition because. You asked in your article, I'm going to go back. We're going to continue with the questions. How do they know, meaning the Knicks, if it's time to trade for a star? Now, you mentioned um, Donovan Mitchell here by name, uh, just because you're not, you weren't reporting anything, but you were just throwing it in there as an example. Um, is this up to the Knicks? Or is it going to be a situation that presents itself and it's like, well, I guess it's our time. We have to do it. I think the Knicks have been structuring themselves so that <laughs> they can aggressively pursue the star that they want. You think when that guy becomes available? So I think it's more the latter. Uh, but like, I don't know. Like, do you do you want to trade? I I think I think people need to have the proper perspective of what it would take to get Donovan Mitchell. Like you're not trading quickly in Obi Toppin for Donovan Mitchell. You're trading everything for Donovan Mitchell, unless you just make an awesome trade, in which case this is a stupid conversation because the question is, right. I'm not coming back for 30% Fred. I'm coming back for the whole thing. There you go. (laughs) If, if the question is repurposed to, should they make an awesome trade for Donovan Mitchell? Then yes, of course they should make an awesome trade for Donovan Mitchell. Yeah. But if we're talking about what I assume Donovan Mitchell would cost or what Damian Lillard would cost or what, you know, the next big star who wants out would cost. Can we, can we say Zion? You're not going to say, you're not going to say his name. I just don't, I have no idea what's going on with Zion. No one has any idea no. what's going on with Zion. We, we recorded a Patreon podcast earlier in which we ranked the top, 24 players under 25 years old. And we both were just, we just shaking our heads. Like, what do you, what do you do with this player right. who like, it's, is, is he going to play basketball at some point? Yeah. I don't right. Know. It's just like, you have, you have no idea. I no. just have no, I, I just, in this age where everyone's got to have a take. You don't have a Zion take. I dare you. I just have, what I have no you? clue what to make of him. Like, he was unbelievable last year. I think that is one Unreal. thing that that like we kind of forget. Like he's not a bust. No. He was incredible last year. He was in legitimate all NBA contention last year. If he had if he had played more games, I think he would have he would have gotten on it one was of the teams. Obscene watching him play last year. Especially the second half of the year when they started to play him basically at point guard. And he yeah. became this extraordinary passer for for someone so young and so large. Yes, and it, it was obscene 12 months ago when we saw that. <laughs> no, but that's what I'm saying. It's like yeah. he could, we all just could be drama queens. He could just be out for the year. And then he could just come back next year. That's it's like, all right, this dude is averaging 27 and nine and five assists. And I mean, it is insane seeing a guy, and I feel the same way about Giannis. Mm. It is insane seeing a guy stand 24 feet from the rim and say, you know what? I think I'm going to go there. <laughs> like, see that spot right there? See that little piece of dust next to the block? I'm yeah. going to go there. Like, my right foot is going to be on that piece of dust. Yeah. And, and then he just goes there. There are five giant world-class athletes 
doing everything they possibly can to make sure he doesn't go to that little speck of dust. And he just kind of walks to the speck of dust and then he can shoot his most comfortable shot. There are like, it's him and Giannis who can do that. And watching him do that last year over and over and over, it was absolutely outrageous. Uh, and do you, I do you think we're ever going to? I I don't either. I'm I don't just, know. I don't know if I'm, we're going to say. I, I hope. No, I, it was I, I really mean, we'll, listen, but I don't we'll see it again at some point. I just I, the reason I bring up his name in the context of this question is I you you went to Donovan Mitchell. I if you ask me to again place our imaginary chips. If you ask me to place my chip on the star who is prominently who prominently winds up in Nick's trade rumors this summer, I would I would place it on Zion. As opposed to Donovan, because I I think they'll they'll wind up just trading Gobert and and that'll be that. Could be, it's possible. Could be could be Donovan too. I I don't know. Utah's like the ultimate bag. <laughs> I mean, look, that's a question you got to no, ask. If if they if they lose this series, especially with with Luca potentially missing at least three games, yeah. if they lose this series after they've just been the ultimate bad vibes team. They they just gotta they gotta do something. And if somebody there asks out, I have no sources telling me that somebody is going to ask out. There are a million people around the league who believe that people are going to ask out, but that's not sources, you know. Uh I, I have nobody direct knowledge of it that they're going to ask out. Uh, but it's you know been the fancy NBA rumors everybody and their mother knows for the last year. If someone does that, yeah, Utah has to have a conversation about one of those guys. By the way, uh, if the Knicks are going to keep, let's say, hypothetical, Utah loses. Okay. They decide we're blowing it up. If I'm going to write a mailbag either for tomorrow or for next week, and somebody asked me a Rudy Gobert question. Oh, I was like, like, this is a great question. Uh, Hey, Knicks should, they should totally go for Rudy Gobert. Here's my my from a purely theoretical basketball perspective, I think it makes sense. And I think it may. It, but here's my my hesitation. If, as you suggested a moment ago, and I think you're completely right on this, everything that literally everything that Nick's been doing has been gearing up for the inevitable trade for a star, I think. And if we if we were to agree, and I'm not sure we should agree on this. I am of the opinion that the two most likely names that they've been thinking of all the while have been Mitchell and Zion trading for Gobert takes you, I think out oh, of people be furious too. <laughs> oh, the, oh, please. Oh, Jesus Christ. Can you imagine people be but, furious? I just think he's like a perfect Tibbs guy. And like, I don't know. I just did exactly what I said that I, I hate to do. It's like, yeah, of course you should trade for Rudy Gobert if you get a great trade. I don't really know what Gobert's market would be because he's a specific fit. Uh, and there would be, you know, I, I think it would probably depend on Randall not being there too, because you have similar offensive issues there. I, I mean, if they could just for, their, for argument's sake, right? Argument's sake. We're just, we're just having some fun here. If they can get Gobert with Randall, and uh, pick, I mean, pick a salary. Send Alec Burks back to the team that drafted him. Fine. It's it's Randall and and Burks and I don't know a pick. It would have to be a lot. Of, it would have to be more than that. You think so? Yeah. Yeah. Are t- you I think do. teams? Rudy are, Gobert has think- a one man defense. For all the for all the flack that Rudy Gobert got this year because the Jazz dropped out of the top ten in defense. They had a 104 defensive rating I, when he was uh, on the floor. I know that. I know. I know the numbers. Yeah. They, they, the guy shot 49% on dunks and layups when he was the closest defender. Second best figure in the league, tied with Jaron Jackson. Like, Rudy Gobert is as good defensively as he has ever been. 104 defensive rating when he was on the floor, by the way. 104 defensive rating would be by far the best yes. defensive rating in the league. Same, if it belonged same, to same, same, by the way, as the Knicks defensive rating uh, when Obi Toppin and, and Emmanuel quickly were on the floor. <laughs> Just throwing that out there. Clearly, they have the same. Fred, don't you know that means they're the same? They're the same defensive right. force. Quickly as, is basically as, the 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 Rudy Gobert the gar- of, of guards of backup guards. Yeah, I no. The only reason I, I push back on that a little bit is because I I agree with you. His value is is obvious. Goes without saying, it's significant. But if you're in a situation when you're and you're Utah, and you're essentially like we have to trade this player. 
um, because otherwise our other guy is basically going to force like it, or is going to cause problems for us. Then it comes down to not should we trade him? It comes down to like what's the best we can get for him. And I actually wonder is like if they look at Julius Randle as like is is that the best? You know, or is it you know some package that Atlanta might offer with Capella? I think or, or you some can other get team? a lot. I think Atlanta would be super into him. I think they would I think too. Dallas would be super into him, and I think Charlotte would be super into him. If I'm Charlotte, I'm just being like, screw it, we'll give you everything. That team wants to make the playoffs. They want butts in the seats. Yeah, but what's they, everything? It's it's Hayward's contract, and I mean, it's just like a bunch of like. But that's the thing is like you're talking even with uh, who's the other team you just mentioned before Charlotte, uh, Dallas. You're talking picks because those teams don't have. Yeah, you're talking picks. Yeah, is that what Utah wants? Is that what Donovan Mitchell wants? I have no idea what Utah wants. I I mean, I'm operating under the assumption too that like you could just have to trade both. I don't know. There's so many hypotheticals. There, here yeah, there's that a lot. I just it depends on so many of them. I just think Gobert. I think there would definitely be a market for him. Like even though he is on a super max deal, I I think he had another great year. Like I know he didn't win it. I would add him as my defensive player of the year again. I, I don't think uh, I just, that was unreasonable. I I I think he was great. Every time I watch the Jazz, that dude is holding up. They have no perimeter defenders. Royce O'Neal did <laughs> yeah. not have a typical Royce O'Neal defensive no. season. Uh, Mike Conley, you know, used to be an excellent defender, but you know, you you, you lose your foot speed when you get up into your mid thirties, and he's not the same. And Donovan Mitchell is not a top flight perimeter guy. And, and Boran Bogdanovich, I actually think is a little better against like big wings. He can, he can do some stuff against like big wings and stuff. Cause he's strong and uses his strength. Okay. But he gets driven by and it's like their, their whole defense is just like perimeter defenders or matadors and Gobera being like, let me clean up this mess for you every single time. And, and it's just, uh, he's, a he is just an unbelievable impact defender. Uh, you have him and he is on the floor. Your defense is going to be good. And there are so few players in the NBA. You could say that about like so few Draymond green. Uh, oh, it's, it's a, it's a, you could count them on one. Literally hand. maybe those two. Yeah. I, I think Jackson's getting there. Um, Fouls too much. That's the problem. He does foul a lot. Only average 20. We talked about this earlier. Only average 27 minutes a game this year because of the foul issue. Um, Second most fouls in the NBA. You have a hard out. Um, we'll end on a rapid fire. Literally just give me the over or the under. Cause you asked a bunch of questions in that article about um, the rotation, young players who's coming, who's going, who's playing this and that. Uh, if I gave you an over under of five and a half in terms of uh, players on rookie contracts in the, in the opening 10 man rotation to start next year, you taking the over or the under currently on rookie contracts. Currently on rookie. So we're not counting Mitch in this discussion, but, but I we're think not counting have, Mitch. Yeah. We're not counting Mitch. Okay. RJ. Huh? Quickly. Yeah. Grimes. Yeah. Obi. Yeah. Uh, who else are we doing? Uh, other, other candidates would be this year's rookie who has not yet been drafted. Um, I'm throwing in Sims in this conversation. I'm throwing in Reddish and then uh, Deuce McBride. All right. Reddish, Reddish, I'll, I'll say. So that you're yeah, up to five, five and a half is a five and a half is a really good line. This is, this is not my first rodeo, Fred. You guys are good. That's a really good line. I'm right at it. Uh, I'm going to go under because I'm going to go with five. Wow. Poor Jericho yeah, Sims. What did, what did I think? What did Sims well, do? No, to you? no. I like, I, I, I think Sims will be there. I just, I'm accounting for the fact that. They might they might make a trade and if and they might have to include one of those young guys. So I think if any of those six guys are there, I think they'll be there. It's just unpredictable stuff happening. But you're going under. Yeah, I'm gonna go okay. under. I'm gonna go under, but that's a really good line. That's Thank that you. stuff. I think if all those guys are back, then I think they'll all be in there. Okay. Yeah. Uh you have to go cover a press conference. Tell the folks at home where they can find you. Find me on Twitter at Fred Katz. Read The Athletic. Um, yeah, that's about it. Uh, you're the best. I will uh, remind folks at the top of the show <laughs> where they can find you. Go enjoy covering the press conference. Um, we will talk to you soon, my friend. Thanks for having me. You're the man, dude. Thanks. Thank you, guys. All right. Hope you enjoyed that one. 
Again, you could go and find Fred uh, on Twitter. I think it's at, is it at Fred Katz? Andrew, help me out here. I should know this. At Fred Katz? Yep. At Fred Katz. At Fred Katz. Okay. There you go. But keeping it easy. Uh, at Fred Katz. And, and of course, he's over at The Athletic. Go follow him. Go subscribe. He, he's great. And uh, they're great over there. Um, of course, if you dig the show, feel free to help us out by dropping a five-star rating leaving a friendly review uh, or of course, just subscribing. Uh, and while we're on the topic of subscriptions, we are inching ever closer to 10,000 subscribers on our YouTube channel. Uh, we got some great uh, YouTube content coming in the uh, weeks and months to come for the draft for free agency. So you're going to want to make sure you're watching Nick's film school on YouTube when all that stuff drops. That is it. Thanks again for tuning into this episode. We'll be back with you with more fun and games very soon.